Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal. Guys, I'm right here, and you're listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. Hey man, watch your language, motherfucker. Hey man, won't you kick me down some more? Hey man, watch your language, Welcome to Metal Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. This is episode 179, and we're going to dive into the infamous, which means more than famous, the Presidio session, since we're still camped out in San Anger World. Yeah, I mean, this is... Metallica is not known for having a lot of leftover material. The closest we've seen of that was Beyond Magnetic, which they put out. They did. So they famously sort of don't have a lot of extra songs laying around. They would record B si- They would record covers for B-sides. A la The Prince and mm-hmm. Blitzkrieg, et cetera. Am I Evil comes to mind. Correct. And uh, So this is, for many people, a very mysterious era. The Presidio sessions would be the uh, several months long beginning writing sessions and recording sessions for St. Anger that they recorded in a banca. In a banca. And James goes to rehab. And by the time he came back, they were already in HQ1. Right. Some of the material made it. Some of it didn't. And there is a collection of what's called the Presidio Sessions that you can hear on YouTube. We'll put a link to what we're listening to in the bio, but we're going we're gonna to talk all about the Presidio sessions. We're going to get down in it. We're going to just dive in that deep end, yeah. right into it, for better or worse. For better or worse, yes. Okay, and <laughs> uh, yeah, so the Presidio sessions, you know, sonically, you know, not great and stuff, but you get to hear that early onset of what San Anger was becoming or what it could have been, mm-hmm. depending on how you look at it. Right. Um, cause there are some really cool riffs in this kind of stuff, right. maybe a couple good melodies and stuff like that, but it's still, uh, I think on the same side, you kind of hear how lost the band is. Right. You I know, agree. in my opinion. So we'll get into that in a little bit. We'll get some housekeeping stuff, but, uh, I'm excited to dive into this stuff. Me too. I mean, yeah, we're, we're, we're firmly camped out in the St. Anger era. We'll, we'll be moving forward from the Presidio sessions into the film, uh, some kind of monster, everyone knows, and the book Joe Berlinger wrote about the making of the film. And oddly, it's an era I don't think I was looking forward to as much as, say, the mid-90s. Sure. But I'm having a good time uh, getting interested in this record. I'm having a blast, man. It's really good. We, you know, we got some good feedback when we listened through San Anger together. Yeah, right. Uh, a lot of people saying, you know, uh, it was a lot easier to listen to that record with you guys. Yeah. You know, And we understand that, and there's some people that love, love this record, and that's fine. Are you familiar um, with the, the saying... A spoonful of sugar helps the ting-ting go down? It usually does. We're the sugar. We're the sugar. Or you're the sugar, I'm the spoon. Ooh. Or we're the sugar, the podcast is the spoon. However you look at it. Well, time's a flat circle. This is the premise for the next season of True Detective. Sometimes you have to spin the black circle. Well, here's the deal. We're an All Metallica podcast. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome to the ride. We're glad you're here. Yes. Ethan and I are two professional musicians based out of Nashville, Tennessee, and every week for the last 700 years... We have made time in our touring schedules and in our quarantine schedules to get together to talk about our favorite heavy metal band of all time, Metallica. Metallica. And I got to say, I mean, we're seasoned. We're crispy. We are seasoned. But I I love the band every much uh, as I did when I was a kid. Of course, yeah. 
and uh, new things inspire me about them. And even in such a strange time, mm-hmm. I still am inspired by them, inspired by their story, and inspired by the power of their music. So yeah, absolutely, I'm glad to be on the ride with you. I'm glad you're my buddy on the ride. I'm glad we're buddies. I'm glad we're on the ride together. We're just riding tandem on a motorcycle through the, the heavy metal mountain that is Metallica. And I'm cool with that. We're both wearing helmets to be safe. Don't worry. Uh, but I'm with you. I, I still have a, a great passion for this band. I still listen to them. Uh, I have a routine in the morning where my wife's at work. You know, I get up, let the dogs outside, make some breakfast, put on a record for that whole process. And oftentimes I still, you know, I've got my records cat- categorized, you know, by genre for the most part, mm-hmm. which is kind of nerdy and fun. But I've got my hard rock and metal section. And, mm-hmm. and Metallica has, on their labels of their vinyl, it's such a good job of making them nice and thick. You can see them. So every time I go to my hard rock and metal section, I always gravitate towards Metallica because I can see the labels much better than the other records. That and Allison Chains. <laughs> so oftentimes I will be, you know what? Like I haven't listened to Ride the Lightning Front to Back in a while. I'm going to put that on while I'm making some breakfast. Right. Um, but yeah, all that to say, I still have a genuine passion for this band. Uh, you'd think after doing this for, you know, where we're at, three and a half years? Yeah. That you know we'd be pretty burnt on Metallica, and uh, I'm you know I still get excited when they post stuff. I still get excited with with new news and all that stuff. I'm still on the ride. Yeah, it's cool. I'm excited too. Well, let's blow through some of this housekeeping. We'll let's talk about the Presidio sessions because there's a lot to talk about with that. So let's just do it, as they say. Do it. Do it. We have iTunes. We have Patreon. Go leave us the review. Don't not do it. Do it. It ain't like you're not gonna not do it. So you, do it. If you, you could not not do it, which would be great because that would mean you did it. Right. So do that. So do that. Yeah. Don't not do that. It's an, you know, you have a lot of extra time during quarantine. If you're still quarantining, maybe you're not, I don't know. Uh, we basically still are for the right. most part. Um, we have just recently started to get, get together in the same room to do episodes again. But uh, yeah, I mean, just do it. It's so easy. Yeah. We've made that. We've made our point. I think we have. Case closed. Case closed. If you really like the show, you can support us on Patreon. You're going to hear a commercial for that. We won't spend too much time begging you to support us. We'll let the commercial speak for itself. But I do want to say thank you to Brian Ward and our homie, Nicole Williams, who both increased their pledge. We're so grateful. I'm doing a golf clap. A golf clap. A nice little... Nice, polite clap. Right. I don't want to distract. No, no, no. I appreciate that. It just sort of blends in like a nice little bed that my comments lay upon. Layeth upon. Uh, So thank you to you two and all the patrons, all the the past and present, and even future patrons. Future patrons. For supporting the show. It means a lot. Goes a long way, especially in such a strange time. We're on the socials. Go follow us. You know what that means. Ethan's other podcast is called The Pirate Satellite. My other podcast is called I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay, which, by the way, we just recorded our 100th episode. Man, I saw that. Congratulations. Thank you. I saw that you were close. Yeah. Th- that's, a, that's a big milestone. I remember how it was for us. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had Cliff Burton on for our 100th episode. Oh, we got we have a, a surprise guest in the studio. My... There's a black cat that just jumped almost in my <laughs> lap, and so I'm wondering now... I have a few things running through my mind. Number one... Bad luck. Is this bad luck? Number two, is this cat really like a, some sort of vampire or ancient demon that lives now in the mortal coil of, the, a, of an animal? The answer is all of the above. Oh, great. Uh, actually, if you want to move your phone off that blanket, she'll yep. probably just curl okay. up there eventually. All right, kitty. Uh, she's a sweet cat. She's a studio cat. Metallica's a studio cat, I think, named Tabby. Okay. This is my studio cat named Vespa, like the scooter. Oh. Or like Princess Vespa from the Princess, not Princess Bride, from Spaceballs. Um, but yeah, anyways, if she bothers you, let me know and I will uh, put her upstairs. Maybe we can listen to little Janet Jackson's Black Cat. Oh, we should, yeah. Is that her theme song? It should be. I mean, she is a black cat. <laughs> I don't even own a gun, <laughs> let, let alone mini guns, guns that would necessitate a gun enti- rack. <laughs> an entire rack. What is it? A gun rack. A gun rack? 
a gun rack. Yeah, right. I don't even own a gun, let alone many guns that would necessitate an entire rack. What am I gonna do with a gun rack? You don't like it? Fine. You know, Wayne, if you're not careful, you're gonna lose me. I lost you two months ago. Are you mental? We broke up. Get the net! Now, we have been doing a thing during the quarantine called the quarantine covers. It's one of the coolest things I think we've done in a, in oh, a yeah. long list of cool things. Many cool things. In which we let patrons of the show choose for us which songs we would cover during quarantine to give us something to do without going insane and also to just give some gifts over there at Patreon. Now, some of those turned out okay. Some of those turned out great. And we went out with a bang, in my opinion, oh, with yeah. your truly amazing cover of Hulk Hogan's I Want to Be a Hulkamaniac. Well, listen, uh, I had the idea a few weeks ago. Thought I'd be, cause I, was play, I was playing some of those songs off his of Hulk Hogan's record. Recreationally. For, for, well, no, for, for oh, fun. Okay, for fun. If they press that on vinyl one day, oh my God, I'd buy it so fast. Oh my gosh, for sure. Oh my God, like limited edition red and yellow colored vinyl or something. That'd <laughs> be amazing. And to tear... Oh, dude, check it out. They it's, should, it's wrapped they, in a yellow shirt. And then you have to tear... The shirt yeah. to get to the album? Yep. How are they not hiring us as their PR team? I know. Hulkster, listen up, man. Come on. Brother. Listen up, brother. Brother, listen. Uh, so but you I, were listening to I, it. I, I was actually playing some for a friend because I was like, have you not heard this? This is ridiculous. This is the most ridiculous album ever recorded. It's okay if you said redonkulous. It was redonkulous. But uh, that's when I had the idea. I'm like, man, how fun would it be to cover one of these songs? Yeah. And I, I, you know, if, if you've listened to the quarantine covers, I've mostly been doing kind of reggae, chill versions of stuff like Brian Adams and whatever. But uh, I thought, I'm just going to do a kind of a fast, kind of punk rock, bad religion-esque it's great. Uh, version of I Want to Be a Hulkamaniac. Well, we're going to let you guys hear that here. And all 26 of the quarantine covers are available over on Patreon. As soon as you sign up, you get those and a ton of other shit. Oh, yeah. Including Lunar Satan demos, which we have a co- we have a brand new Lunar Satan song that we debuted last week. Mm-hmm. Got great feedback. Thank thank you to all of you who said nice things about that. And shockingly, there's another Lunar Satan co- song that got written. Yep. Just this week, that's already all I got to do is write the lyric and sing it. I say I, that like I, it's I, easy for I me. I have but. heard it, and I have done the drums on it, and it sounds great. It's gonna be cool. It's gonna be cool. So anyway, that's how we'll uh, we'll, we'll just move away from that for now. But we want to let you guys know, and you're gonna hear Ethan's cover of "I Want to Be a Hulkamaniac" right after we finish with emails, which we'll go to now. You can write into the show, metal up your podcast show at gmail.com. We got a lot of interesting emails last week about our Slayer run-through, mm-hmm. and uh, I thought we would get a little more pushback on our analysis of Rain and Blood, which I, we did get some. A little bit. I mean, we, we understand that some of you guys love that record, and, and, and understandably so. There's a lot of great stuff in that record, but, uh, you know, if you listen to the episode, you, you know how we feel about it, and uh, I don't know. That's all I got to say about that. I'm not trying to defend us here. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it is what it is. The point is, even if you disagreed with it, <clears throat> but in a cool way, mm-hmm. not being a... A douchebag. Disagree in a cool way, guys. Come on, just be cool when you disagree. Be cool, my Uh, babies. We love hearing about it. I mean, I love hearing different perspectives. In fact, some of the emails that didn't quite make the cut to read on the show were very impassioned and very uh, eloquent defenses of the album Mm -hmm. that that were offered in a spirit of graciousness. It was very cool. People that I respect who've written into the show before, other musicians wrote into. Right. And uh, I love that shit. I really do. Absolutely. I love hearing from you guys. So, you know, if you get an inkling and you want to tip, clickety-clack, tappity-tap, tap, tap your way over to Metal Up Your Podcast Show at gmail.com, we will read it no matter what, but we oh, might yeah. even read it on the show. And we'll dip in now to what we lovingly refer to as... The, the Email Portal! <laughs> Email Portal! 
All right. Our first email is from Stan Pearl. He says, for the next Explore the Big Four series, my vote is Peace Sells by Megadeth. Okay. Came out in the same year. Often referred to as one of the classic thrash records. Okay. Um, he says, and and for the record, I consider Megadeth's Risk album to be their Lulu. I don't know if I go that far. Uh, maybe another acclaimed record of theirs uh, to build rep points in clean size er, in, uh, instead. Um, uh, we, we, everyone know, every, every, honey, everyone knows this. Uh, Megadeth is a tough, tough pill for you to swallow because mm-hmm. of Dave's voice. It's not just that, but yeah, that's, L- lyrically, that's a main offender. Yeah, but I mean, musically, they're badass. I mean, yeah, it's fine. It, it's 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 uh, technicality wise, it's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, eventually we'll get to peace cells. Yeah, I. I all this risk talk, we got a lot of emails talking about risk. Right. Uh, people were kind of equating it to being like their Saint Anger, or in this case, their Lulu. Um, I'm, I haven't listened to that record in so, so long. Someone said kind that... want to. Someone said that Cryptic Writings is their load and reload, which definitely piqued my interest. Do you agree with that? I, I, I would say that Countdown Extinction is like their Black Album. Yeah. Um, Euthanasia was the next one. That's kind of a continuation of that. But yeah, Cryptic, Cryptic Writings, I would say, is more... I mean, it doesn't sound like Loader Reloads. It's, it's different riff-wise and stuff like that. But it's 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 safer, I guess. I think, I think, I think what they meant is the spiritual connection. Someone had mentioned right. that they, they play a couple of songs from those records, the same way Metallica plays Fuel and Memory Remains, mm-hmm. maybe a little more experimental. They don't play anything from Risk, I'll tell you that. Right. Yeah, I kind of can't wait to hear it. I might actually like it. I, I, I do wonder, like, okay, so... I tend to like underdog records. So, like, on Rust in Peace, I thought you were just going to have a field day with one of our most infamous covers, mm-hmm. of the quarantine covers. Um, Dawn Patrol. Moles, yes. But 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 that turned but you, out to be you one know of your me. favorites. You know me. Yeah. Look into my eyes. Is... <laughs> I didn't quite mean it like that, but... <laughs> You know I'm being sincere when I say it's my favorite Megadeth. Yes, song. I, I I do. I trust you. I believe you. Followed very closely by Sweating Bullets. Right. So, I mean, if there are more Dawn Patrols <laughs> happening in the Megadeth pantheon, if, I'm down. If Risk is nothing but ten tracks of Dawn Patrol, then Clint is in. Well, cool. Well, we're definitely enjoy. You know, I love doing the Explore the Big Four. I went back and looked. We had not done an Explore the Big Four in like a year. It's been that long. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, you know, I love that series. I think, I wonder if a lot of it kind of had to do with last year, the band still being on tour. and we Yeah, were con- there was a lot going on. A lot going on, constantly doing Metal Tales episodes that just kind of got overshadowed. But uh, I'm glad to bring it back. Yeah, and maybe, who knows, maybe Risk is the next one. We don't know yet. We well, decided. the good news is we're going to do all of them. So if we don't, if, if that's not the next one, it's coming up. It's down the pike. I, I will say after we did the uh, Slayer episode last week, I did go back and listen to Show No Mercy, yeah. Slayer's first record. Right. Pretty rough. It's gonna be a tough one. Pretty rough. Tom, Tom Mariah does that. Whatever. I can't even. I can't even. First I call it. That I high. call it killing the donkey. He, he kills the donkey right off the bat <laughs> on that record. He does. They maybe even call it that. Like, look, all right, for this first song, we're gonna kill the donkey. Want you to kill the donkey twice. Yeah. And then maybe a couple songs go by, and maybe it's just sort of been ho hum thrash metal. And they're right. like, man, we haven't killed the donkey in a minute. It man, might be time for a donkey sacrifice. It might be. Yeah. They might even call it Slaying the Donkey. Slaying the Donkey. You know, like Peter Gabriel had Shock the Monkey? Right. Slayer has Slay, slay the Donkey. Rick Rubin's in the studio, like, on, on Talkback, like, uh, hey, uh, Tom, can you uh, slay the donkey on this one? Right. No, no. On, like, like beat four. Right. Yeah. Right after Lombardo's. Yeah, you know, you know where it's at. Okay, cool. <laughs> you can't even fake it. I wish. I, I can't even falsetto that high. How did Tom Araya do that? I don't know. Well, don't ask him. Ask the donkey. 
The donkey. Our next email is from patron Neil Lumsden, who writes up, what's up, brothers? I tried it that time. I, I, I don't Not quite bad. have as convincing a Hogan as you. What's up, brothers? Yeah. I mean, did, did the ghost of Hulk Hogan, even though he's not passed away, just walk through <laughs> HQ1? Uh, he writes, I became a patron a few months ago and emailed you then, which you read on the show, and I was starting right back at the start and was probably around 20 episodes in when I wrote to you. I've been binging ever since, and I've still got a long way to go. There's so much content. I can't thank you guys enough. Over the last few weeks, I've heard you go from our party in the Nashville show is six months away to it actually happening. And as I've heard you two become excited about it, my own excitement for you increased too. I can only imagine how you both felt because I really looked forward to hearing your episodes so much. And after three episodes in a row where either Clint by himself or both of you went to a show, it almost felt like the end of an era. Mm. Your enthusiasm was tangible and I felt so jealous. It also felt bittersweet with James obviously having since gone back to rehab and the pandemic. This whole world now seems a lifetime away. Man, that's so true, dude. Ain't that the truth? It feels feels like eons ago. I mean, dude... Five months ago, I was still traveling and doing shows. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's weird. Uh, he writes, I love listening to the Metal Tales, speaking of Metal Tales, uh, hearing everyone's backstory in the different set lists. I don't think I could do it because my observation skills are so poor. For instance, I looked at the set list of some of the shows I've been to, and at the last one I was at, which was Manchester 2017, they played of Wolf and Man, and I have no recollection <laughs> of it at all. Anyway, just to say I'm still loving the show. Keep up the great work. I hope you and your families are keeping safe, and hopefully... We can all get a chance to see the boys again in the not-too-distant future. Peace and adios, Neil. Well, thank you, Neil. Thanks, Neil. It's a really cool email, dude. Yeah, he's right, though. It, it does seem like a lifetime ago that we were... Uh, I mean, dude, it was this year, right? This year that we saw Metallica in Birmingham? Was that January? Or was that last year? That was last year. Holy shit. Yeah, you got COVID brain. Damn. Wait, was it? Wait. I, I honestly don't know. Yeah, that was last year. Oh, 2019. So, yeah, yeah, sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, that was sorry. last year, bro. Well, I mean, I know that... Actually, I, it was a year and a half ago. I know that, yeah. I know the Nashville show was, was a year and a half ago, January, but I for some reason I thought Birmingham, I don't know. No, that would have made sense because James was in rehab last September, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I'm getting caught up in the orchid of time. Um, <laughs> uh, anyways, whatever. Enough of that. Um, see, see, you can't remember A Wolf of Man was played? I can't remember the last time I saw Metallica. Hmm. It's a shame. <laughs> Shoot. COVID's got me. Bro. Um, all right, thanks, Neil. Uh, Nick Roller, our good friend, writes to my esteemed hosts. Wow. Mm, pleases, verily. Pleases us to read this email. Uh, the new Lunar Satan track uh, started, and I just yelled, oh, fuck, uh, in my car and started headbanging. Great work. Okay, love you. Bye. <laughs> Your friendly neighborhood have been a lawyer. Nicholas Dean Roller, Esquire. Nicholas Dean Roller. Well, uh, Clint did a great job on that. I merely, I merely provided the drum tracks. I just laid down the rhythm, but it was at Clint's utter poignant and taskmaster-like direction. I do have to say this. So that that track, which is called Hold the Hand That Holds You Down. Yeah, man. That track is more of a, uh, someone likened it to Perfect Circle's first record, which mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's that good, but it's definitely more of the groove metal in that Maynard James Keenan vein. Right. The new one, I think, might have been inspired by the Rain and Blood listen through. It's got a probably the coolest Lunar Satan riff. It's, some, it's yeah. definitely faster and and more evil sounding. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't know. The new jam I'm super stoked about. I can't wait Dude, for people to hear it. All the all the stuff that that you've played me that nobody else has heard yet. I love. I think it's awesome. And I can't wait to hear an actual version of it on vinyl. 
yeah. one day. I know. We're, we're trying to figure that out. Yeah. Uh, Brian Ward writes in and says, I missed the hi-hat work from St. Anger on the bonus playthrough, meaning the uh, the HQ live session that we did a commentary on a couple episodes ago. Right. He says, there were a number... I wonder if you hone in on this, Ethan, because Brian's a drummer, as are you. He says, there were a number of songs in which Lars used open hats for effect that weren't present. Also, the bass part on the unnamed feeling chorus is pretty all right. A lot of stops that I thought Mr. Rock tastefully added worth a focus if you're interested. Yeah, cool. I mean, some of the start-stop syncopated stuff and unnamed feeling is super bitching. Yeah, it's it cool. doesn't occur to me to attribute that to Bob. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, those are little things that I didn't really quite notice on mm-hmm. the studio session. Mm-hmm. To me, that I was just more focused on just the energy of the band. Um, I mean, I almost thought that some of, some of Lars's performances and that and some things he slightly changed from the recording should have been on the recording. Right. Um, that kind of energy he put forth into that play through the whole record at HQ was so much better than the actual record to me. Because you, you, could, you could hear his passion in his playing. Yeah, I agree. Know? He goes on to say, I upped my Patreon pledge because my wife was astounded by the quarantine covers. She wanted to feel like she was pledging, so we upped, and she felt better about supporting you guys for and beyond the quarantine. Oh, man. Glad to be back in a more present listenership. I missed my Monday routine. Now that I'm back to work, I find more opportunities to listen, and I hope you guys can get back to what you love soon. Clint, again... Your grace with regards to my humble Lunar Satan cover was much appreciated. Metal up. Brian, Portland, Oregon, New Jersey. Jersey, So, dude, Brian, so this is the first ever Lunar Satan cover. I know. It's awesome. He covered the the ballad, the acoustic ballad, Come Dark Sun, Mm -hmm. and uh, he sent it to me. Well, first he sent me a tweet that was like, hey, do you mind if I cover this song? And I'm like, what? Hell yeah, cover it. Please, please do. Could you imagine when I was like, "Mm," I'm like stroking my Merlin's beard. Hmm. Hmm, ponderous. Yeah. Hmm. To cover or not to cover. And then I looked into a crystal ball, and then I, I put like Eye of Newt in a cauldron. You grab the magic eight ball. I had an eight ball that I shoved up my ass, which I read later you're not supposed to do. I had to. I had a very intense meeting with a proctologist. But he pulled out the answer. And the answer said yes. Yeah. So I, so I tweeted back as soon yeah. as I got access to my phone and got off my medication. Right. Anyway, he covered it. It's a really sweet, faithful cover. That's and awesome. It meant a lot to me. So thank you, Brian. I appreciate that. That's so cool. It, it is a trip. When, I mean, when I did my... Uh, Two re- records ago, my kind of more punk rock EP, uh, I had someone hit me up and asked me if they could cover one of my songs. And I'm like, yeah, of course. Could you imagine if you said no? <clears throat> that would be weird. It'd be pretty weird, right? It, I'd be, you'd be an asshole, I think. <laughs> I mean, you can cover whatever song you want. It's just a matter of if you put it out there to make money, you might get in trouble. But, but if someone like, just wants the blessing. Yeah, maybe. One th- I mean, I guess it's, it's a polite gesture. But you don't have to ask me to cover my song. I'd be honored if anybody covered my song. It's like if he didn't ask my permission and then I somehow stumbled upon it, I'm like, can you fucking believe it? And then I, can't I, go believe, out, I can't believe Brian Ward did that. And then I go outside and I have like a, a Lunar Satan flare gun that shoots a pentagram into the sky. And I fire that bitch off so that all the demons can see it. And I summon the demons. And they're, they, <laughs> they go sh- to Brian's house. Well, they show up thinking like, is the great holy war upon us? You summon the demons. I'm like, no, no, no. Um, this guy covered a song without asking my permission. He didn't ask me. And he's just covering it for fun. They're like, you summoned us here for, for that? that? Yes. D- does not please us. Ple- you, we awoke from an ancient dream. <laughs> Dreams of a holy war. <laughs> Dreams of a Megadeth song. Don't they have a song called Holy Wars? Holy Wars, the punishment due. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. The, 
Yeah. Okay. All right. The end. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate <laughs> yeah, I was it. Was loving that tangent. All right. Next email is from Cyrus. He says, "Hello, brothers. I would say cryptic writings more more cryptic writings than Megadeth talk. Uh, <clears throat> I would say cryptic writings by Megadeth is more load reload. Yeah. Style this is whose email I was referring to earlier. Yep. Uh, I said came uh, came out more in the same time as load and reload. Had better songs on it and just overall a better album than Risk. I think he means better songs than than Risk. Yeah. Oh not, yeah. Not than Load and Reload. No, no, no. I mean, most of this song, this record was was better than The Memory Remains. <clears throat> Can you imagine that? Nope. Uh, it says, Trust and um, Almost Honest are two of my favorite Megadeth songs. Uh, oh, I thought he was talking about album titles. Never mind. Uh, Cryptic, Writings is, Cryptic Writings is my favorite Megadeth album, uh, and Load is my favorite Metallica album. Uh, both were when I got into heavy heavy metal from, from the punk scene, so have a very nostalgic place in my heart. I, of course, went back into both bands' pre- previous catalogs, and metal educated myself. Um, oh, the the new Lunar Satan, amazing! Uh, we all need we all need a Lunar Satan LP or at least an EP. The concept, the music are awesome. Great job, Cyrus from Durango, Colorado, New Jersey. Cool, thanks. Um, yeah, again, I mean, we're we're eventually going to get to Cryptic Writings and Risk. Um, I'm more intrigued to get to Risk first, just because it's sure it's kind of the talk of the town right now. <laughs> Everybody down on Lower Broadway is <laughs> talking about Everyone's it. Everyone's talking about it, and they're fucking pedal tappings. <clears throat> they just closed in all the bars again for two weeks because. Nashville can't get their shit together with this virus, but what they are talking about is risk. Right. Everyone down Not taking the risk of getting the virus. Right. They mean the Megadeth album from the 90s. Right. I mean, we gotta, we gotta, you know, do what the people want, right? Well, look, it's as simple as that. We love hearing from you guys. We love the Metal Up Your Podcast family. We love them. We do. What can we, I mean. Whether you're from New Jersey or New Jersey or New Jersey. Or off one of the turnpikes in New Jersey. We love you. We love you. So write into us. Let us know what's going on. Tell us your story. Tell us your stories, honey, please. We like stories. I've been rewatching Harry Potter with my daughter for the first time, which has been really fun. And That's I awesome. forgot that Malfoy's dad Malfoy's dad his name is Lucius. Lucius. He's a death eater. Can you believe that, honey? Honey, please. Who does this? Listen, my Lucius isn't a death Who eater. Who eats death? No, he only he only eats nice T-bone bites of steak when I cook it for him nicely, and he you know he eats his little canned food too. I'm like Valentino. You have a couple of choices, honey. When you stay with me and Lucius, your choices are kibble, but it's the good kibble with bits and pieces of real meat in it, of course. or death. He never chooses death. Well, because he's not a death eater. Yeah, well, he doesn't have a little tattoo of a little snake going through a sword on his paw. I don't understand it. He who must not be named ain't going to get a hold of my loose shit. Oh, please, of course not. All right, right into his Metal Up Your Podcast show at gmail.com. We'll talk about Harry Potter. We'll talk about Michael Jordan. We'll talk about mid-90s Megadeth records. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about fucking Back to the Fucking Future. We'll of talk about coming to fucking America. We'll talk about fucking Nuprin. Here, take two of these. <laughs> Little yellow difference. <laughs> <laughs> really, you could do Dave Mustaine in any, any uh, you know quote, and it would work well. Good morning, my neighbors. <laughs> I fuck you. Yeah, fuck you too. <laughs> that boy, good, no good and terrible. <laughs> I believe the children of the future. Reverend Brown. This man's been my reverend since I was a boy. Put your hands together for sexual chocolate. <laughs> it just always works. <laughs> they got the Big Mac. We got the Big Mac. <laughs> they got the Golden Arches. We've got the Golden Arcs. 
Let's hear it. it. A goat herder. (laughs) I can't even look at you. (laughs) That makes it worse. Good George Giggles. I'm waiting. Just let your soul, <laughs> let your soul glow. Let it shine through. <laughs> <laughs> My cat didn't like it. She totally ran away. Like, what the hell was that? <clears throat> oh, shit. Well, oh, my gosh. All right. Oh, I think it might be time to get out of the email
Hey everyone, this is Ethan and Clint. We're here to tell you about supporting the show via Patreon. That's right. Every week, Ethan and I work hard to bring you the best Metallica content possible. If you think the show has value, consider supporting us on a financial level at Patreon. For $5 a month, or the price of two cups of coffee, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast continues to grow in quality and content. But that's not all. In addition to being able to help sleep at night for supporting your favorite podcast, we've also come up with incentives to say thank you that are exclusively available to patrons. For example, for a pledge of $5 or more, you immediately get free downloads of every cover our world black and ep ticket giveaways for shows like snm2 and slain castle box sets rare vinyl metallica memorabilia like snm2 guitar picks email priority meaning we'll read your email first on the show with a chance to ask guests like hailstorm jay weinberg of slipknot and metallica row crew your very own questions and the opportunity to come on the show as a guest for our metal tales bonus episodes in which you can tell us all about any Metallica show you've been to in the past. All this and more for becoming a patron and supporting Metal Up Your Podcast. We couldn't do this show without you, and to everyone on the ride with us, we sincerely thank you. Peace. Adios. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the Presidio sessions. We have a little bit of, uh, we have some interviews here from Bob Rock. We're going to hear a little bit from James, and uh, we're just going to talk a little bit about it. Refresh. We're going to jog. I believe the correct word is jogging. Maybe I, it's a soft J. Jog. We're going to jog your memory. Jog your memories. So here we go. This is from a sound on sound interview with one Mr. Bobby Rock, who I just love, by the way. Love Bob, of course. I love Bob Rock. Who, who doesn't love Bob? I don't know. Maybe there are people there. Well, there are people out there. Who, people that who prefer who, the first four records. Who who consider Bob Rock some sort of you know uh, uh, demon who destroyed the thrash era of Metallica. Oh my gosh! Which it's well documented. We don't see it that way. No, I mean let's just let's put Bob, this to rest. They were writing those songs before Bob Rock came into the picture, and they were moving that way anyway. Yes. You know, I would I would point towards them making the video for one. I would point towards the song Harvester of Sorrow. I would point towards the fatigue that was setting in after they toured and justice for all mm-hmm. and i think them meeting up with bob rock this cat is so cute <laughs> she wants to be right them meeting up with bob rock at that time in their career is one of the most serendipitous meetings mm-hmm. in all of rock history absolutely it's the beatles meeting brian epstein uh you know it's 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 just legendary well i mean can you imagine if okay so they'll say they're hacking out all these songs for the black album and then they decided to go with fleming again it still probably would have been a cool record, but it would not have been the Black Album as we know it. There's no way. Bob had a different a different sauce. He had a different different approach, uh, different production. You know, ways of producing records. It still would have been. Oh, this is a cool record Metallica just put out again. Fleming came back and did this after Justice, but Fleming came back and did this after Justice. I'm just, I'm just hypothetically saying, like, oh, if he, if Fleming did it, the black it, it, album, if he did it, yeah, it would still be a cool record. I just think from everything I've learned from doing all the research for the show, like the deep dives we've done into the band, their career, their albums, their growth, right? Fleming seems to me to have been a a great a great producer for when they were young, when they mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of experience. Um, you know, him being Danish, them them being able to do those records at Sweet Silence in Denmark, right? It was a point of connection for Lars, which large Lars. Um, at that time, and really for their whole career, maybe not the creative engine of the band, but definitely like the spiritual engine of right. Metallica. The guy who kind of drummed it all up. Yes. Uh, you know, James really is responsible for writing the material, of mm-hmm. course, with 
immeasurable help from all the guys, especially the early stuff. Cliff, Kirk's riffs for Creeping Death, and of course Lars being a great partner to help put all that stuff together, put the sauce together. And then Fleming's the guy that, you know, basically said, well, you know, he helped, he got Lars in touch with the other Fleming mm-hmm. who was the drum tech drum who tech, was giving yeah. Lars drum lessons. Right. And it was probably Fleming who first helped them understand about engineering albums and about showing up to a studio on time and having a mm-hmm. work ethic in the studio. Cause I don't think they had that with Paul Curcio when they did right. kill them all. But then when you move on to Bob Rock, you got a guy who's just come, just come off of the cult, just come off mm-hmm. of Dr. Feelgood. Oh yeah. A dude who knew how to go in a studio and had the courage to take a band as big and formidable as Metallica and give them shit. Right. And and, and draw shit out of them. I don't yeah. think Fleming I don't think Fleming occupied that same energy with them. No, no. He he was he was kind of there just as like an, a bit of an anchor. Like I'm I'm gonna make this record sound great. I'm gonna help steer the ship a little bit but bob rock came in and was kind of like hey i'm the captain yeah this ship is going where i say it's going to go i'm going to take with the direction you're already going and i'm going to kind of hone in that even better it says a lot about their respect for him and also his um you know his confidence Mm -hmm. to be in that situation and to be working with the band at that level at that time right. and push them in that way. And and to me, it just makes a lot of sense why they continued working with them for so long. Up, absolutely. Up through yeah. St. Anger, of course. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Including these Presidio sessions. Mm-hmm. I think I think that the, the handoff from Fleming to Bob was much uh, very similar to like Brian Slagle to Alago signing him. Where it's like, hey, I, I can only take them so far. Yeah. And I don't know if Fleming actually said that, or, or, or but that's the vibe I get where it's like, because him coming in on Justice was kind of like, hey, this Mike Clink's not working out. Can you come back and do your thing? And I was just going to mention that. Well, I think I think the Mike Clink hire was them already obviously moving away. Yeah, and they dipped their toes into the the. I hate to say it like this, like Fleming's not a big you know a, a heavy hitter in that world. Sure, obviously, what he accomplished with fucking Master of Puppets. Yeah, let alone Ride the Lightning, and then of course Justice is amazing. But by Justice, they were ready to change guard mm-hmm. what happened was old mike mikey clink clink got in there and it just wasn't jiving and they were like fuck this let's, I, I i interpret that time those few weeks that they were working with mike and it wasn't really working as them sort of scrambling back to something that they knew well back to their safe place they, they called fleming and said because i think the idea was after puppets blew up and we've covered this mm-hmm. um after puppets blew up fleming got really busy oh yeah and their allotted time to make justice just didn't work with his schedule. So right. he declined it. So maybe, cause I think I'm getting this wrong. Maybe they, they were going to work with Fleming, but he couldn't do it. And they're like, all right, cool. This is an opportunity to, to yeah, try something to new. Try something new. Lars was it, into user illusion one and two. Lars was a huge guns freak. Yeah. And then Mike didn't work out for whatever reason. And they were like, fuck it. Let's just make it work with Fleming. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they put out the old Fleming bat signal. They, they we, were probably hoping that the Mike Clink collaboration would be, you know, in retrospect, would be what Bob Rock was. It, yeah. It, like, oh, it, we're going to try something yeah. new. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have this whole new this thing. This guy's right off of appetite for fucking destruction. Totally. Yeah. So let me ask you this as someone who's made an album with Paul Moak. I just want to talk about Paul for a second. By the way, it's Paul's birthday. Happy birthday, Happy Paul. birthday, Paul. As we're recording this, it's Paul's birthday. As, as an artist, because you and I have done sessions with Paul. I've known Paul forever. Made several records with Paul, with Matthew Mayfield. And so I have my own uh, assessment of what it's like to work with Paul, but I'm curious for you, 
in terms of the Fleming, the Bob Rock, because producers just do different things, right? Mm-hmm. We've even seen this in Metallica's career. We talked about Fleming, Bob, even Rick Rubin had a different Fiddleman. sort of flavor. And then, of course, Fiddleman, who I would say is more in the Bob Rock school, right? although there's no evidence I've seen so far of him being as aggressive with him as Bob was. Right, yeah. Because it, at the point that Greg come, comes into contact with him during Death Magnetic as an engineer or as an assistant... Mm-hmm he's just helping them do it. And then when he was given the reins in Hardwired, you're dealing with a band in 2015, 2016, when they're making that album, that's been the biggest band in the world forever. Right, That's different than inheriting them at the cusp of their mainstream potential. Right, they're already a big band, but they're about to be one of the most massive You're about to take it to just a level that is unimaginable. Yeah. So, okay. So, and then even you and I are are students of music. We we could talk about, I could talk about Daniel Lenoir and, 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 uh, and Brian Eno and, Mm -hmm. and a million great producers. Sure. So for Paul, for you, where did he fall in terms of like, how did he push you? Let's just talk a little bit about Paul's vibe as a producer. Paul's vibe is definitely, um, he likes to, you know, before even before listening to like demos and stuff like that, I feel like Paul wants to sit down and get to know you. What's your vision? What's your goal for this record? He's very intentional. Very intentional. Um, I would say Paul is almost like a producer slash therapist in a way. He wants to he wants to dig deep into who you are or what your band is, uh, each individual member, what makes you tick, uh, what makes you drive, all that stuff. And then from there, he kind of takes it to the next step of like, all right, now let's let's dive into these demos you're bringing me, these songs. Um, what about when it's crunch time what about when you're on the deck so you so that's what you just described is what we call in the biz in the biz putting a little breathe on there is called pre-production right meaning and that can involve a lot of things that can involve getting to know you the artist Mm -hmm. where you're coming from what your story is because that should inform the music you make but it could also be maybe you've got 20 songs and you can only record 10 of them for an album Pre-production is a stage of it where your producer you've hired, Paul Moak, for example, mm-hmm. listens to all 20 songs, and then he's going to choose the 10 he thinks are the strongest. Right. And then you sort of collaborate in that way. Then you have this whole, when you even know the songs you're going to record, you have this whole process of like refining the song, trimming them down, mm-hmm. taking the fat off, rewriting some of the lyric. Oh, yeah. But what about when it's crunch time? What about when you're tracking? When, when Bob Rock, I'm thinking of when Bob Rock's telling Kirk... Come on, guitar player of the year, right? Yeah, and he's pulling that unforgiven solo out of him. What's Paul's vibe in that area? I feel like I feel like Paul has has def- a definite Bob Rock aspect to his approach to those situations, um, where he'll challenge you. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, for sure. I mean, th- there was a few times on my. This is just my experience on my solo record. It's a little different when you're recording as a studio musician on like. That's why I'm wanting to get your opinion, yeah, because <clears throat> the side guy's a different deal, and me and right. Paul and I relate so much as guitar players, mm-hmm, yeah, that it's a different thing, right? Uh, for me, it, it, there was a few moments where, um, like, I felt the take was good, you know? So, like, there, there, there's a few moments on my record, maybe more than a few. By the way, um, another plug for the great Let It Burn, <laughs> one of my favorite albums. Thank you, thank you. Um, there was a few moments where, you know, lyrically it's very personal, and I really dug deep lyrically. The uh, song about Hulk Hogan? It's the one about Hulk Hogan, yeah. Um, about how you listen to... Well, I call uh, him Terry, but... Uh, <laughs> I call him T. I call, I call him T. I call him TB. Tamberlea. Um, but no, there, there was a few Are moments. Are you telling me his name's not Hulk Hogan? Uh, this is a shattering moment. Do you really not me. know his real name? I didn't know his real name, but I, I, did, I did imagine it might Terry not be. Terry Balea. Wow. Yeah. And he is a bass player. 
as we've seen. And he doesn't really talk like this. No, he, he, talks, talks, he talks like this. He actually talks like this. He says, Hi, I'm Terry Belay. Said, well, let me tell you something, brother. I have this really great idea, guys, where I stay up way past midnight and I tear my leotard. It's really fun. And I like to play the bass. And then this is my friend Mean Gene Okerlund. And I like to sometimes I like to say, well, let me tell you something, Mean Gene. I have this great dream of one day auditioning for Metallica. And one day I'm going to spread a rumor that I did. And then I'm like, cannot stop the battery. I'm like, hey, man. <laughs> so, the song was about... Stranger Eon's death may die. Anyway, go on. <laughs> anyway, you were saying... Um, back to the front. Back to the front of the story. <laughs> but there, So there was moments in the studio with Paul where like, we were doing this one intro to this song. It's the last track on the record. Um, and the intro is just me and acoustic and I remember playing, I didn't have a demo for it and I remember playing it on acoustic with Paul or in front of Paul and I said, here's the intro idea and I was singing it, you know, not full voice, not with my stomach, just like, just with my throat. Kind of like this. Kind of like this. And Paul, and Paul right away, this is, this is pre pre-production. He's like, whatever we do with this record, that's how the intro has to be. You need to do it like that. And in my mind, I'm like, I no, like no, that was not my vision at all. But you know, Paul being the guy he is, he's made quite a few more records than I have. He's like, that has to be it. So when it came time to do that song, um, he's like, all right. And he remembered. He's like, we're doing that intro, just you and acoustic. And so I did it. Like, I didn't even overdub. I just did, you know, one mic on the guitar, one mic on my voice, and I did it. And I don't have a, you know, it takes me a while to, to get some takes down. I don't have a, a great singing voice. I, I like your voice a lot, but I'm, I'm I'm similar. It takes me, it's it's a hard one battle to get a great vocal. Right, exactly. You can do it. We yeah. can get there, but it it's yeah. I it's like the I like the sound of my voice. I just technically speaking, I I can't do with my voice what I can do on guitar by by any stretch of the imagination. You know, sure. It just takes me getting comfortable with the song, and then I can sing it solid. Sure. Um, but yeah, so it took me a few takes, and it was the very end of the day where we were just doing this intro, and then we ended up like. I was just, I don't know why, I was just kind of struggling with it. I don't know if I felt nervous or whatever. I felt kind of vulnerable because it, it wasn't what I envisioned for the intro to the song. And then the next morning we came in and just and knocked it out right away because I just, I came back in with confidence because that's what Paul gave to me. Right. Next morning it was like, it's like, hey, like I know you were kind of struggling with this yesterday, but like, dude, you got this thing. Like, this is easy. It's just three chords, finger picking, and a simple melody. And then he cracked the joke that the melody was similar to a Kiss song. Which Kiss song? <laughs> Uh, I was made for loving you. Yeah, and, and the the beginning of the, the last song of my record. Um, so then you went and listened it's to called "Set My Soul on Fire." I I didn't realize I did this, but the intro is uh, "I remember when I went alive. I was made for loving you." Wow! I didn't even realize I did that. You know what we should do? We should for our listeners just put those back to back right here. <laughs> Are we sure?
Yeah, so there you go. That's cool. I mean, that, that's my experience too, just watching Connor from the sidelines, how he deals with artists. He's really great at managing all the personalities in a room. Right. Just think about it. Like when we did our last session with him with this cool chick named Kirsty. Yeah. Um, he he lets the jokey vibe evolve. Mm-hmm. First of all, the studio is really vibey, really cool. You feel oh, yeah. really inspired and chill when you're in there. But then all the personalities start to come out. And he has a good way of letting that blossom out like a flower. And then he can really bring it back home and rain it in and get everybody on, on the page. Yes, totally. My, my anecdote is a side guy that really impressed me about Paul. And it's his birthday. We should just take a minute to praise him for a minute. Happy birthday, uh, Paul. Uh, consider this your present. That's your gift. We're talking about you on the show. So when we made the Blue Cut Robbery, which is uh, Matthew Mayfield, who's a great friend of ours, a great artist, mm-hmm. played on several of his records, as have you. Yes. I've toured with him a lot. We, he has a side project called the Blue Cut Robbery, and it's just a fucking balls-to-the-wall rock project. Rock and roll, yeah. And we recorded an album in 2013 or 2014, and we did it all live, to tape. Mm-hmm. And Paul was also a guitar player in the band. Yeah. So we're all in the main room, Will Drake on drums, Tony Lucido on bass, Matthew playing loud guitar and singing. He recut the vocals later, but he's singing. Mm-hmm. Paul playing second guitar. I'm on third guitar. We're all in the room burning it down. Yeah. And this is like aggressive rock music. Go check out the record. It's called uh, uh, Coquette. I think it's called Coquette. I don't know. Do you know what Coquette? it's called? Coquette? I mean, just go to Spotify or whatever, YouTube, look up Blue Cut Robbery. Don't go to fucking Spotify. Go to iTunes, look up Blue Cut Robbery, you'll find it. You'll find, just look up Blue Cut Robbery, you'll find it. We would burn the song down, okay, chaos. Like, we would would learn the song in the control room, Mm -hmm. and then we'd go burn it down live. And the way it was kind of going down is like, if one of us fucked up, we have to do it again. Yep. We were just committed to that. And these are complicated songs, and we'd burn it down, and everyone kind of brought heat. Everyone brought the MJ number 23 flavor. That I'm rocking 24 seven. Oh yeah, now. I'm wearing my MJ hat right now. Bro. Yeah, you are. Um, and we'd all lift our heads up at the end of that take, and he'd be like, "Well, how did everybody do?" Because you're kind of producing yourself when that much chaos is going on. You'd be like, mm-hmm. "Oh, I kind of fucked up the bridge, or I fucked up the intro." But we'd all pull our heads up, and he would have notes for everybody. Yep. He'd be able to say while he's playing guitar, and while while he's tracking the tape, he and worried about his own performance. Right. Mm-hmm. He'd be able to say. To the drummer, hey Will, um, on the bridge, don't open up your hi hat. And he would give me crazy notes like, "Hey Clint, when you're doing those chug chords, you're not you're not quite closing them off quickly enough." And you're- that's a, I mean, th- these are the things that are a mark of a good producer. And he can hear everybody's part while he's doing his own part. Yeah. And most producers aren't necessarily tracking something on the record. No, that's rare. Paul does that a lot, yeah. especially working with a solo artist. Right. He'll put together a band. Well, because he's, he's a great guitar player and great, he's a great piano player and organ player. So He's a great all-around musician. Right, right, right. But for him to sit in a, in a room with a bunch of other dudes and track this stuff to tape while he's worrying about his own parts and make notes in his head for all you guys, I mean, it's, that, he's got, that means he has a great ear, a great mind, and he he's got a vision for everything he, he and a he great approaches. butt and, and well and a great butt a great butt. Hey, I was thinking it'd be really fun. What's up? Let's give Paul a call. What's his? Let's bir- wish him a happy birthday. It's his birthday. This is literally putting out the bat signal to one Mister Paul Moak. Yeah, and well, so I, I will say that I'm gonna have to throw it on the old speakerphone. That's fine. And uh, put it up to the microphone, but we're gonna do it right now. So calling Paul. Paul. Oh, is it ringing? What the heck? What the heck, dude? There we go. Jason Brantley. Brantley. Jason. 
Be a buddy. Be a buddy, Paul. Be a buddy and answer it. It's 10.30. He's got to be like, oh, Ethan's calling. Something must be up. Oh, it's been forwarded. What a Screenmaster 5000. Well, cool. I'm glad we talked a minute about Paul because, uh, you know, beloved member of the Metal Podcast family, and I just wanted to get that uh, perspective. So back to Bob Rock. So this is Bob Rock talking about the Presidio on a Sound on Sound interview. Uh, he says a recently purchased SSL 4000 console was installed within a deserted barracks at the U.S. Army's Presidio base in San Francisco, hence the title, The, the Presidio, Presidio Session. Then complemented by equipment transplanted from Bob Rock's Plantation Studios facility in Maui. And all I got to say to that is, let's go to fucking Hawaii, bro. Let's go to fucking Hawaii. Uh, a Studer A800 24-track tape machine that was actually never used, along with URI 813 monitors, Studer amps, Pro Tools HD rigs, vintage mics, and assorted effects. So I believe there's footage of this in some kind of monster where they're mm-hmm. just like laboriously getting all this fucking gear into this Oh, place. dude, when they're loading that stuff in, I, I really felt for the crew guys. Pretty Cause, brutal. Because they're loading into what is not a studio. Right. I mean, these are just barracks. Well, he goes on to talk about that. He says, in a lot of cases, bands that come to Plantation basically use all of my gear, Bob Rock explains, but that isn't the case with Metallica, where each of the guys has a truckload of his own equipment, which that made me, I mean, okay, okay, let's just camp out there for one second. So obviously, that's gratuitous and insane. Mm -hmm. However, you and I have been in situations where it's like, yeah, well, at that level, they've got, I mean, dude, think about all that gear. I was on tour with Zach Brown Band opening. I've talked mm-hmm. about this before. And I had an AC30. I had two amps out. I had a Deluxe Reverb and an AC30. I was running stereo. Yeah. I was in this kind of three-piece rock band. I had to make the sound huge. So we ran my amps in stereo, a la uh, uh, the DeLeo, the Suntable Pilots guy. Right. He used to do that. He'd put two stacks yeah. on Rob left DeLeo. and right side of the stage. Uh, Dean DeLeo. I thought Dean was a bass player. No. Oh, Rob. Rob DeLeo is a bass player. Robert uh, DeLeo. That's right. Dean's a guitar player. Got it. Uh, so I was doing that for this tour, and my AC30 went out at the Gorge. Mm. Playing the Gorge, sold out. In and my, George Washington. In George Washington's teeth. Yeah. And uh, I was freaking out, dude, because I didn't have a backup. Yeah. And they go, oh, Zach has a bunch of AC30s. There's a one of our semis, which they had like 10 semis. Mm-hmm. One of the entire semis is all amplifiers, because all the guys in the band are gear nerds, and they like to switch. Right. They're playing dumbbells and two rocks and vintage shit yeah and jcm you know 800s and so they were like just go pick out an ac30 from the truck whichever one you want so some of these people i can see like kirk's whole deal he's got a whole it's not just kirk bringing in a couple of guitars in a fucking yeah and you know in a mono case in a gig bag in a gig bag with a little combo amp if if metallica decided we're gonna record at the smokestack with paul moak i would imagine they would request that studio be cleared out even the outboard gear? Maybe not the outboard gear, but like as far as like instruments, yeah, drums, yeah, yeah. I mean, all that stuff right. would just be cleared out and thrown into storage for seven yeah, months or whatever. Because they're bringing all their own shit. Right. I mean... And at that level, if you can afford it, I mean, why I mean, why not? Yeah, exactly. When I go to record at Paul's, I don't even take anything except a pedal board. Because I know he's got 25 he's guitars. He's got amazing stuff. And he's got just the best amps ever. I, I bring a guitar or two just because... I haven't taken my gear out of my studio in quite a while because of COVID. So it's fun. I'm like, you know, what? I'm going to take my Gretsch to the studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I'll, you know, I'll play it and stuff. But sometimes I'll grab one of Paul's guitars. But I love that you, last time you did that when we were there together. I didn't even take anything. Didn't yeah. take a guitar. Yeah. Well, because I know he's, I, I knew for that project, he has this great 
just standard Les Paul that mm-hmm. I love. And and, and uh, you know, the guitar I played mostly on that session was a Strat, an yeah. old Strat he has. Yeah, that was a great Strat. Which is like a weird choice, but it just made sense and it worked yeah. good. Anyway, uh, so Bob Rock goes on to say, it therefore made sense for me to go to them. We went to the top floor of the Army building where two huge rooms were concoct- connected to one another and we stuck the console in one room and all of my gear in the other and then we ran cables down to some of the other floors where we used separate rooms for guitars and everything else. So what he means by that is the cabinets of the guitar amps are down in these whole other rooms that are completely isolated, mm-hmm. and you just you mic those. So you have maybe the heads of the amps right in the control room or right by you, so you can change the amp, but the right. actual speakers are in completely other rooms. Yeah, that's usually how it works. I mean, um, like at Paul's studio, and we keep bringing back up Paul. Paul? Paul? Um, but, you know, if you're in his live tracking room, there's a whole rack of heads, and there's a whole separate room that's closed off with all the cabinets and speakers. Uh, so you have isolation. So this is essentially the same idea, but it's downstairs. He says, the rooms had painted walls and were very bright. We had to give them a little bit of acoustic treatment. But overall, the whole thing was very makeshift, very guerrilla style. And it was kind of interesting pro- providing the start to how the album ended up. Very raw, very garagey. And that's true. That's Those statements ring true to that's me true, about yeah. the sound mm-hmm. of the album yes. in question. Uh, Rock recalls frantic, invisible kids, some kind of monster, and all within my hands were from the Presidio, and that's how he set about finishing the record. He says, at the Presidio, we talked about things, and I said, well, look, whatever we do, let's write the lyrics right away, get the ideas down, and from there, we can tweak them. Over time, you can come up with something else, but at least we'll have something, and you won't be staring at a blank page. Because James, up until that point, and after that... yeah would write lyrics last. Yes. So we've all heard the demos, right? The demo tape that came with the Justice Box set, Mm -hmm. all the demos for Load and Reload, the demos for Death Magnetic. It's him just sort of singing what would be those melodies, but with just sort of gibberish, not even dummy lyrics, just la-la-las and shit. Oh, yeah, he's just just trying to kind of get the rhythm or the melody down, maybe, and that's it. La-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. That was the French. (laughs) <laughs> so we didn't do those laws. Uh, he says, so we went for that. And when James couldn't come up with something in the first 15 minutes, that developed into everybody coming up with ideas. And from there, he would be the master editor. It was very stream of consciousness. And that held true for most of the tracks. For instance, The Unnamed Feeling was a song that James brought in, but then it went through the same process and the whole album was like that. Hearing Bob Rock say that about The Unnamed Feeling, I think I said this on the St. Anger commentary. That's the one song where it sounds like James already had that. Yeah, lyrically, it sounds. It's just more lyrically cohesive. It's yeah. not. It's not as repetitive. You can. You can. Yeah. Exactly. That's a yeah, great point. You can just hear it in the song that he spent time on this one, where everything else is very like puzzle piece. Yeah. You know. Um, Here's a verse. Let's just do copy and paste it, and then especially an invisible kid, dude. Invisible kids is like repeat, oh my God, repeat, repeat, so repetitive. repeat, repeat. Okay. Uh, a few more notes here. Uh. Oh, this is interesting. So songs were voted on. I think this is in the documentary. And James really wanted the song Temptation, which we're going to hear shortly, and was bummed out that he was outvoted. So I guess including Bob Rock, because there was no bass player at the time, so Bob Rock was considered mm-hmm. a fourth vote. The songs had to have been, you know, if the, all the songs that got four out of four votes made it through. Yeah. And one of the songs that James really wanted was Temptation, and it didn't make it through. And at a meet-and-greet show, I think during... During the Madly and Anger with the World Tour, mm-hmm. a studious fan who may have heard some of the uh, clips or got there was like an EPK about St. Anger that had some of this material. Right. He actually brings up Temptation to James, and James had this to say. 
you know, the recordings that were made at the Presidio. So I heard that might be released as a soundtrack or something for some kind of monster. But yeah, we were thinking about that, but then it became kind of a little too much work as far as making them presentable and this and that. And we didn't want to mix it up with soundtrack stuff. It deserves to be on its own somewhere. So that'll come out some, somehow, somewhere. I'd love to hear some of the outtakes. Yeah, well, they're pretty much not outtakes. You know, they're oh, yeah, I mean, the ones songs. that, in other words, weren't at On St. Anger. Yeah, no, there's some, there's some good stuff. The Temptation, when you were singing the movie, that one sounds like I love like, that. That one yeah. sounds like a real keeper. Well, I tried to get that on this album. I got outvoted, man. So that's James there talking about the voting system and basically yeah. saying, I really wanted that one. I was bummed it didn't make it. I mean, it's a tough situation to say, oh, what could have become of that? But, I mean, we kind of know what became of the rest of the record. Like, would it have been as good as what James initially envisioned for the song? What that, what that song bite makes me think about is it was probably for the first and maybe even last time in Metallica where there was a true democracy. Could you imagine any era before this? Let me tell you something. A song James wanted on the record it was, was going, going on the, on the fucking record. Um, I don't know if you should say come crawling faster. Exactly. He's like, James um, like, excuse me? Hmm. I just wrote a new song in my head just now. It doesn't have any music. It just goes like this. Go fuck yourself. How do you like that for a catchy song? You know what I'm saying? Like, Oh, yeah. I don't think they were subjecting anything to votes I mean, before we, San Anger. We all know that this entire record, this entire process is proof that the way they did this it doesn't work with Metallica. This is this is the proof right here. And they tried it, and it, yeah, it didn't work. Yeah, and they went right back to the old way, and guess what? Now, we got Death uh, Magnetic. Now, also, to be the devil's advocate, the song Temptation, not great. Not great. Like, it should have been outvoted, but just right. the... The interesting democratic process is so new and so strange. Like mm-hmm. James Hetfield, a song James really wanted on didn't make it on. That's just yeah. fascinating to me. Uh, a few more notes here. In a 2004 interview with Ohio radio station The Blitz. The Blitz 99.7. James answered rumors about the Presidio material ending up on a soundtrack by saying, there were probably 15 songs that didn't quite make the record. They're cool. They're not finished. But they'll appear sometime somewhere. There'll be right, there'll be a right time for those, but for us, Saint Anger is doing pretty darn good, and it's hard not to it's hard to not keep writing. So it would be tough to go back and redo some of that stuff to get it in shape to put it out. He says, and I don't like this part, but he goes, that would remind me of Load and Reload working backwards. But there's just so much good vibe going on now. There's no use in turning around. So those things will appear in their form some way or another. Now I think what he means is they finished the Load album, then they had to go on tour. Right. Then they had to sort of go back and finish the tunes they'd already started. Right, yeah. And that maybe for a band that's always sort of moving forward, that may have felt a little counterintuitive for them. Yeah, because you I move mean, on. They normally take, I mean, they, they, talk, they take time off the road, hack it out in the studio, and they might be on the road and flying back from mixes, but the record's tracked and done. Yeah. You know, for them to come back, oh, we got to get off the road and go finish this. That's got to be tough. And I feel that as a writer too. Like, you have this period of time where you're writing something. And maybe you get it to the finish line, maybe you don't. Then you then you move on, whether, yep. whether that's a tour or whether that's other material. And then the idea of like, oh, we could either spend this time, because by this point, 2003, 2004, they're, they're Metallica. Yeah. So it's like, we they have designated time to be creative. Mm-hmm. They're not just like fucking around anymore. Right. So like, okay, in our designated time to be creative, are we going to just make something new? Or are we going to just go back and drum up old like we're about to hear this material it's like right. 
some of it's very noodly noodlesome. It's We're weird. just fucking around in the studio. Yeah, that's weird. So it's like, okay, do you want to write something new, which they're obviously capable of, or do we want to go dig through a bunch of shit? Mm-hmm. I can definitely see his point that like right. we don't want to move backwards, right? Okay, uh, Kirk referred to the Presidio material as quote-unquote very different and quote-unquote much more melodic, even claiming it was closer in style to the black. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's just Come not on. the case, bro. This, yeah, I, I disagree with that, Kirk. I appreciate the soundbite. Again, I think, I think I talked about this on the San Diego episode. They were in such a weird place at this time that I think that there's certain parts of these Presidio sessions plus St. Anger that they back. Like, they were so engulfed in this stuff that they just were, in a way, like, forced to like it. Or, you know, like when Lar- uh, during uh, Icon, when Lars is like, we're about to put out this fucking crazy record and it's one of the best shit we've ever done. I don't think they were forced to like it. I think they just Not they forced, did like, like it. They, they were just, but they spent so much time on it. Yeah, yeah. They were. They, they, they couldn't see it. They couldn't see they, it. They were in the middle of the fire. Totally. And that's how it goes. You, yeah, dude. Almost every new song I write, I'm like, this is probably the best thing ever. And then you get some distance from it, and you start writing beyond that, and you look back, and you're like, oh, that wasn't as good as I thought it was. No, it's not. Right, right, right. Yeah. And to that very point, so this is the last little uh, tidbit from Lars before we start listening. So in 2011, the band stated they would not be using the Presidio material for future albums. It was like sort of the 10-year anniversary of them making St. Anger, Mm -hmm. the 10-year anniversary of the Presidio sessions. Ulrich told the Pulse of Radio... There are certainly no plans right now. The Presidio was a really awkward time as we were kind of getting our feet wet again. And when we were doing the whole Death Magnetic stuff, we didn't go back and wade through hours and hours of Presidio stuff to try and see what could be resurrected. Which is ironic because there is a section of one of these songs, Shadows of the Cross, which did go on to become a riff in All Nightmare Long. Right. So, I think that's... I mean, dude, I scoured the internet for information about these sessions. Yeah, there's not much. And that that's really, you know, all the context I could find. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and to, to kind of bounce off of Lars's quote, I don't know if I would want them to revisit this stuff and piece it together because all that would mean, <coughs> excuse me, is the same exact process they did for St. Anger. Yeah. Hey, let's take all these unfinished songs and just copy and paste things and move it all around and make a song. Yeah. That's not Metallica to me. Well, and I think as we're about to hear, although there are some interesting moments, I mean, this is less than 25 minutes. Right. And what a lot of this is too, is these are, this isn't official. So this is like YouTube, this is super nerd fans mm-hmm. who took bits and pieces of the EPK for St. Anger, whatever was in that, and what you hear in the documentary and they maybe looped they maybe created verses and choruses, yeah. looped a few things together. It's 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 in no ways like a clear. It's perhaps it's a dirty window. It's a dirty window. It's not a clear window into this material. No, so, it's, it's it's nothing official. The band didn't put this out. It's, right. it's This is like you said. This is all fan curated stuff. And I can't imagine. You know, I think for the box set, which is going to be twenty thirty three. Yeah, they'll probably slap together some more official sounding renditions of this material but until then I can't see us getting access to anything more cohesive than what we're about to listen to I don't know if I want to hear more than what we're about to listen to I wouldn't mind hearing something actually put together from the tapes if it was a complete song then sure but I would rather even hear what they put together from the tapes versus what we hear now which is basically like 
documentary footage. Right. Like the, uh, the quality is very, very, uh, you know, it's it's not consistent. No. And what I would imagine that would be on a Sandinger box set would be uh, similar to like the the, the, the riff tapes on, on the, what, the bonus discs or bonus vinyl of each box set. So here's the riff tapes. It's like, here's this two minute section of what ended up becoming the Friends of Sanity or whatever. But unlike that, though, these have lyrics. There are some lyrics, yeah. I mean, these these aren't him going da 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 da. These are these are him singing about, you know, uh, the knife in your back and right. shadows of the cross and temptation and can't turn away. And, and this is pre Phil too, because didn't Phil come in after rehab? No, he came in before. Phil came in before Jason even left. Oh right, my bad, my bad. Yeah, because Jason goes in that whole thing about like Phil was with when, when James was gone. Phil was working with the the other that's two right, that's and right, Bob, right. and they were still continuing sessions. Yeah, and I co-host a Metallica podcast. You fired. I fired, honey. Please. Well, so there's nothing really. There's not much else to say about it. I don't think, unless you have anything to add. Um, I, I mean, I think it's time that we just sort of burn it down and, and yeah. listen through. Now, there are some big moments that we are going to hear. For example, uh, Lars screaming fuck into the microphone, <laughs> the famous stock argument. Mm-hmm. We're going stock. to hear that. Dead Kennedy Rolls, which is the last track. Um, you know, they played that at the Chemo's gig where Bob Rock played bass, you know, that sort mm-hmm. of secret gig. Right. And, and uh, they also played it at that load, or not load, but uh, uh, the HQ relaunch party mm-hmm. where the chick played bass. Right, yeah. So they were kind of hot on that song, but then part of that song, I guess, became St. Anger. So that song kind of dies. When, you, right, when yeah. you take a part of that song and make it into another song that's the titular track of your next record, that song kind of goes away. So right. that's the only song they've played live. Um, so, all right, so let's just get into it. I think we should. Let's go. All right. Here we go. So we're starting with little cricket. E- Echo Chamber. It's a weird little squeaky cricket sound. They were like, dude, this is so deep. Got some seagulls. <laughs> We're on a beach with crickets. We're in Frisco. It's going to head down to Pier 42. Got some Bubba Gump shrimp. I know what love is. I know what is about to happen. Metallic and Phil Tows like peas and carrots. So this is sort of a dark, ambient meditation. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that. It's actually kind of cool. It's pretty cool, right? I dig this, yeah. And I actually like the seagulls in there now, too. (laughs) I wonder if they got like a sample of that or if they actually went and recorded some seagulls. I mean, they weren't far from the the water. Saying I want to live. Yeah. And there we go. There's a little bit more. So this is the famous delete that. Also, this was allegedly inspired by the band or Lars getting into Cigarose, which makes sense. If you guys ever heard Cigarose, which oh, yeah. is definitely worth checking out. It's very, very ambient music. Okay, so then we move into Shadows of the Cross. 
I really, I mean, the beginning of Echo Chamber, I, th- that could have been something cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. But only as like a, an intro. I mean, not, of course, nothing, yeah. nothing, five minutes of I'm that. I'm just thinking like, you know, the intro to Blacken and stuff like that, where it's like this cool bitch and whatever. Yeah. That one's in reverse, but that could have made for a, a really cool intro to a song. It's so weird to kind of listen to it too, knowing that like some fan kind of pieced it together in a way. This kind of sounds like "Dab you back and you don't stab mine." Yeah, a little bit of slow down, sweet amber. Get in bed with your like that little own part's cool. They're like, oh crap, this is beat it. <laughs> I think that's a cool riff. Who's doing those BGVs? That wasn't James. I mean, Kirk and Bob, maybe? Maybe Phil. (laughs) I'm wearing a Cosby sweater. Like that riff right there. That is. It's okay. It's okay by St. Anger standards. Sure. Not by Metallica standards. You listen to these BGVs, dude. That's. Oh, that does sound kind of like James. James, yeah. yeah. The era. The era that they were recording this, like, some of that phrasing right there. Downtown, town, town's like this. Over, like, a kind of a chuggy groove is a little weird to me. I know they're just, you know, it's a pursuit session, so it's... <laughs> Look at myself. Zone. It. it. No brand. Little yellow different. It just kind of sounds, like, you know, a lot of these riffs sound like they're just making them up on the spot, which uh, which just was the case a lot of this. Yeah, record. that's what they were doing. They were trying to just find sure. a record and jamming, which like a, I feel like I'm just listening to them just in Noodle. a rehearsal, you yeah, know, in a garage. Which again, that's what it was. But what's crazy, dude? To contextualize this, this is the same band that could just, if they wanted to, right now, play Master of Puppets. Yes, but they're playing this. That sounds like corn. Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> I guess this one's called More Than This, which is, parts of it is what was used for the Ja Rule collaboration on We Did It Again. While which James we know was just epic. <laughs> which we know just fucking burnt the charts down. Well, and of course, Ja Rule will go on to successfully uh, host, co-host the uh, Fire Festival. Oh boy! If you haven't the seen those documentaries, fire. amazing <laughs> one on YouTube or one on Netflix and one on Hulu. Uh, I believe the I believe the one that's on Hulu is the better one to watch. They're both good. One of them was produced by the Fuck Jerry guys, who were also super guilty in a lot of like, you know, the the, the kind of uh, mispromotion of that whole thing. So they painted themselves in a, in a light picture. 
What is that a boom boom thing happening? Is that the snare? Snare. <laughs> it's like they added it. It sounds like an Atari game. Totally. This part's cool. Yeah. It's kind of loadish. Man, somebody really spent some time piecing this together. Yeah. Nevermore, your whipping boy. This whipping boy done wrong. This is the We Did It Again riff. Kind of cool. We did it again. <laughs> Kermit the Frog. It's unusual to hear Kirk Hammett use a wah pedal. Yeah, so this really is really is. special. <laughs> hey, a, a solo during the St. Anger session? Hey, it really is weird that he's playing a lead. Tempo change. I mean, I think that's a different clip, but still, it's. Right, right, right. Right off your base. Right off your base, bro. Like that part could have been cool. Ooh, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're maybe not vocally, but okay. all right. Well, <laughs> that was exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is what this is going to be like, bro. Would you rather listen to this or Rain and Blood again? Oof. I don't know. I don't either. It depends on my mood. <laughs> All right, this is Surfing the Zeitgeist. As one does. Which I had a note that this sounds like something off Pearl Jam's No Code. This sounds like the song I'm Open. It does sound. Like their weird avant-garde middle album stuff. Yeah. Like you can just hear Eddie Vedder doing like long legato. Oh, yeah. I'm open. James is doing it right now. On a ceiling. On a porch. <laughs> I mean, God, I haven't listened to this in forever. I've, I've honestly probably listened to this one time. Just well, I mean, out it of curiosity, it doesn't like, really quite inspire repeated no. business, does it? Yeah. But all it reminds me of is like being in a band in high school. Not even a band, just like getting together with your buddies to jam, and you put your like boombox in the middle of the room and hit record on a on an old like you know XL two, you know, Look cassette, at you, a Maxwell cassette. And that's what it sounds. You know, it just sounds like that to me. Like you're just trying to figure out shit, which is what they were doing. And I get that, it. Yeah, in their defense, I mean, that's what they're doing. They didn't really plan for this to be scrutinized in the way that <laughs> no. we're doing it. We're sorry, Lars, if you're listening. We apologize. We're just He's listening. He is. Hello. Hello, Lars. Hello. Hello, hi. Lars. Good to hear from you. Oh, 
we're tuned down to drop C and it's really cool. So low. Of course, Lars comes in with that double time. I would have done a double time. Yeah. Half time? Half time. There it is. There we go. That feels better, right? It does. They're just finding it. That's They're the thing. It. Yeah. See, that's the normal James dummy lyric. Right. A lot of O's and whoa woes and shit. Strummy chords. A lot of that sound is just like, just the audio from like the documentary of them in the control room, from the guy filming. Yeah. Coming through the monitors or whatever. They're just trying to find parts, find ideas. But it's also interesting. I mean, it. They just don't have a lot of stuff like this where you can sort of point to a body of work where you're like, oh, this could have been your favorite Metallica song, maybe. Yeah. And this is the first of St. Anger. I mean, this is where it started. Right. It's it's not really up to Metallica standards no. at all. No, God, no. It's, it's like a high school band. It's like a high school band with the boombox you mentioned. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Kind of cool. You would never think like, oh, that's Metallica. <laughs> you might think that's Hoobastank. Is this Hoobastank? I don't mind some Hoobastank. Oof. There's there's some good songs, man. Oh boy. That recent song is good. Oh boy. Crawling in the Dark is a good song. Oh boy. Come on. <laughs> it is. Just saying. So are we on the Boogeyman song? Yeah. Here we go. This sounds like Rage Against the Machine, right? Yeah. Roll right, roll call. From Evil Empire. We yeah, gotta take the power bomb, back. Bomb track. Let's take the power back. We gotta, gotta take, take the power back. back. Oh. This is Nirvana. This is not great, right? <laughs> of course, this is not great. I mean, this is not great. I mean, I understand that they were trying to do something different from Metallica, but somewhat adapting to the times. But this uh, doesn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the word to really sum it up, and, and I mean this like delete that, <laughs> delete that. That's two words. I do mean this generously. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. We gotta take the power back. Uh, this sounds like rage, right? Come on, come on. 
It does, yeah. Um, I think the word to sum this up, honestly, is lost. Oh, very lost, there's a, yeah. There's a lostness in this material. Well, and also, I mean, even going forward after James got back from rehab, starting the official St. Anger sessions at HQ, I mean, they were still lost. Yeah. I mean, James was trying to find his place back in the band as someone who was newly sober, trying to figure out how to work. And like, oh, I'm only working for three hours a day and all that stuff. But, man, yeah, this is something that... This isn't, you know, this isn't that focused, hardworking band that we know. You know, they just got done with a decade of just an onslaught of a schedule. And, you know, Black Album, Load, Reload, S&M, Garage Inc. Right. You know, well, Garage Inc. Like, was before S&M. I wasn't doing it chronologically. <laughs> I'm just stating the facts. Look, we got I Disappear. We got the Black Album. <laughs> yeah. We have Ride the Lightning. We have Turn the Page. We have Until It Sleeps. <laughs> That was kind of cool. A little, yeah. And then it disappears into some Faith No More B-side. Clearly the teeny snare was uh, discussed during uh, the procedure sessions. Yeah, well, it's definitely present here. That bass part's pretty dope, though. Nice, Bob. All right, Bobby. Oh, Bob. Go, Bob. Bobby. This is Ain't Asked No More. Gotta take the power back. Come on. Weapons, not fools. <laughs> I was gonna try to do fools <laughs> on parade. Some of those that want forces. <laughs> What's the first line to Bulls on Parade? Oh, come with it now. Cool with it now. Come with it now. Oh, it's cool with it now. Cool with it now? Cool it's with come, it now. It's come with it now. Weapons, not fools, not cool. Feed the war, cannibal, animal. I walked the pounded to the rubble. Used to be a library, line up to the mine cemetery now. We don't know to keep a contract alive and moving. They don't gotta burn the books, they just remove them. Oh. <laughs> hey, everybody, welcome to James's Jazz Lounge. Welcome to Vocal Hour with the Presidio Band. Welcome to Noodle City. Like, whatever City. they're playing right there, they didn't think that, like, oh, this is going to... I know, I feel bad. This is going to spark an I feel idea. Like a, I feel like a voyeur. No, I, I feel like a dick criticizing this I feel, I feel like we're stuff, peeking but... in on, like, a a naked, naked Metallica time. <laughs> they're like, let's just be naked for a minute. No one will ever see. Of course no one will ever see. We're like, no... This is, a podcast that gets 40,000 downloads a month is going to rip it apart, bro. <laughs> this is the song that plays when Kirk is hosting at the Olive Garden. Oh, my God. <laughs> Would you like to sit inside or outside? Let us know, please. Would you like olive oil or some crushed black okay, so pepper? Th this is temptation here. Now, this is the song that James really... No, wait. Well, we, only, we only have three left. Look. This is, this is tough. I feel like I'm having kind of like a psychedelic experience with you, dude. Far out, man. Dead 420. Oh, my God. Hey, put this under your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this is the song Temptation. You sure? 
That's kind of cool. Mm. Emphasis on kinda. I mean, it's kind of cool if they're not Metallica. If they're Metallica, yeah. though, which I think they are. I think so. This is like the same band that did, you know, Through the Never, The Master of Puppets, and Blackened, and Creeping Death. This is the same band that collabed with Ja Rule. Kind of a 90s Jamesism. I wonder uh, lyrically what he was writing if it had anything to do with uh, addiction. Because this is pre-rehab. Temptation. I wonder if he was starting to recognize maybe what he was going through and maybe getting kicked out of his own house. I mean, it seems pretty obvious to me. He's not not couching it in metaphor. But what I'm saying is maybe that's the reason why he was attached to this. Yeah. We can expand on this. No, no, I I agree. take this into the next. I I totally agree with you. I I think for a lot of the reason that the load and reload era is so resonant with me is similar. I think he's pulling from that same energy for Temptation. Right. I just think creatively, musically, there's just a... Uh, uh, just an abject lostness to this material. Yeah. Which to their to their point, to be fair to them, they didn't put it out. I mean, I think they probably agree this material wasn't great. I mean, they of didn't course, make yeah. it, right? Sure. Well, all right. All right well, so that was temptation. good. God. <laughs> all right, unbrighted. Unbri- unbridled. unbridled. Oh, this is the famous... Kirk. Kirk. Dude, you ever been in that situation, though, where you can't hear it? You're oh, just, yeah. like, ripping, you think you're killing it, and the, the band's like, Kirk. Yep. Kirk. 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 <laughs> this is one of the things that really bugs me about Lars in this era. He does. He tries these weird beats that just. This is the stock argument, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just too stock. He's like James says something really condescending, like, "I mean, it's like artistic and all, but it doesn't work." He says right. something like that. <laughs> we got a little. Yeah, here we go. Let's see what he says. No, no, you hear it. I mean, that's rough. It's just no point of reference. Mm-hmm. was right before he slammed the door that wouldn't slam. That's right. All right. All right. So we end with possibly the strongest song. Dead Kennedy Rolls. Dead Kennedy Rolls. (laughs) 
Watch your language, motherfuck. Yep. Cloud my enemy? Drown my enemy. Drown. I mean, this has potential, right? It does, yeah. It's got kind of like... It reminds me of the song Attitude from Reload. It's got like punk rock thing. For sure, yeah. Still, it's not like good. Yeah, yeah. There's I that. Know. There's that. Again, I mean, I, I think that the, I think the, the best word to describe this whole experience of the Presidio sessions, so we said earlier, just lost. They're trying to find something and they can't find it. But this is one that they. I mean, they they perform this song twice. Yeah. I mean, this is probably the most complete of the they, tunes. They perform this more than actual Metallica songs. They played it more than Fixer and Better Than You. Right. I think they played it more than the song Inner Sandman. Probably. Which is a, a super buried deep cut. on. And why wasn't this on the uh, bracket breakdown that they were being posted on Instagram? Yeah. Where was this? Why did it come down to one Fade to Black, Master of Puppets, and Dead Kennedy roles? Seriously. Ding, 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 ding. Roll that Kennedy roll. Uh, good night, Dark Continent. We are Limp Biscuit. <laughs> well. So that must be the performance that a, from that. Yeah, that was Chemo's. a clip, little clip right there. Okay. Well, All right. Um, well, okay. So, so that was Rain and Blood. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a rough listen, of course. I don't think you could sit down any of the guys in Metallica and have them listen to it and, and have them think, oh, that was, yeah, that was cool. If any of this stuff was worth using, they would have used it somewhere else. I mean, yeah, there's some stuff that made it onto other songs, but I, I mean, I think you put it best earlier, man. I think, I think they were just lost. I mean, this is pre, right before we went to rehab, Jason quit the band. They have no fucking idea. He quit idea. the fucking band? Quit the fucking band. He quit the band. He did, but they really they 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 they've just lost direction at this point, man. Yeah, that's what it is. What's interesting about that kind of analysis, which I agree with you, the, the final analysis is a, that that was pretty rough. Yeah, um, and I've listened to that before, and I listened to it earlier today in preparation for this episode, mm-hmm. and I just listened to it just now with you, in case you didn't notice. Too much. Um, it, it's interesting because the Presidio sessions have a little bit of a, you know, there's some momentum behind the mythology of the Presidio sessions, right? Like, oh, it's even Kirk himself saying it's more black album uh, and and uh, and a lot of fans because it it, it represents this sort of uh, uh, forbidden fruit type like you know anything that anything that you can't have you 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 just build a mythology around it mm-hmm, right I, I think yeah. if you even though we're hearing what some youtuber or some you know Metallica diehard they kind of put it together there's not a lot there to chew on that's better than Saint Anger I mean there's to me, every once in a while, there's like a quick little riff. You're like, oh, that uh, that could have been something, maybe. Kind of like Rain and Blood. <laughs> kind of like Rain and Blood. <laughs> I'm just kidding, just kidding. Yeah, there's just a few kidding. things in there that could have been developed. Sure. But for the most part, it's pretty clear why none of that made it onto yeah. even the record we consider to be, you know, the lesser of their 10 studio You can efforts. say worst. Well, I could. I mean, in our opinion, yeah. St. is not the... Best Metallica record. Yeah, well, you can say worst too. It's, it's the worst. 
And this is the stuff that didn't even really make that. Right. But yeah. what's interesting about that clip that we played from James earlier where the the guy in the meet and greet calls the Presidio sessions like the outtakes and James is really quick to be like, those aren't outtakes. Mm-hmm. Like he, he, you know, he's kind of quick to say those aren't rejected songs. They're just songs that were started at a certain time. And then we, you know, obviously there was the rehab break and then they sort of built on it and moved on. Um, I mean, yeah, I agree. They're not outtakes. The, again, this is them trying to find something, anything they can. And it's cool. I mean, it, it is cool, Ben, at that level, at that time, with everything that they had accomplished, to try to... Because part of the whole Presidio, meaning the location, part of that vibe is, like, I, I guess HQ1 was being built, but mm-hmm. wasn't completed. But it was right. time for them to be creative and make an album. They're off the road. They wanted to be closer to home. So right. like, fuck it, let's do it in town. And I, I like the idea, and Bob Rock talked about it in that interview, of like, let's just find a weird, vibey room that's mm-hmm. not a studio, an right. army barracks, and let's just throw some gear up there and yeah. let's fucking get weird. Maybe it'll and, bring something out of us. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's, they got weird. They got weird. Yeah, I mean, and that and that is a common thing, like as a recorded musician, you you get into a new space, uh, you, like, you know, we're here in HQ1 in my house, I try to write down here a lot, and sometimes I feel uncreative. But when I go on the road, and I'm in a bland ass hotel room. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, like all these ideas come to me because I don't have the distractions of where I'm, what I'm used to. And you've just taken a, some would call lethal dose of PCP. Well, a lethal dose of Nuprin. Right. Yeah, which is like three hundred. But you're, I guess you're supposed to take it orally. But I heard that you sit on it in a weird way. I heard you take it through a different orifice through sitting on it. Uh, I actually snort the pills whole. Oh, yeah. It's it's this is my thing. Well, I'm trying to, I call that my presidio session. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was fun. I mean, it's an important part of the Saint Anger story. It is, yeah. I think as we continue to dive into this era, uh, with the documentary coming up, which is going to be a, a multiple part series, but we're going to watch it together. Yeah. With running commentary, of course. And uh, I would encourage you all if you haven't checked it out, Joe Berlinger, who made the film. Who's gone on to make a lot of like he he just did these uh, Ted Bundy films mm-hmm. uh, that were widely acclaimed. Uh, he did both a documentary and a an actual dramatized film right. of Ted Bundy with the great Zac Efron. Uh, which, by the way, Mister Jimmy James Hetfield is acting in the movie. He might be in it as a little sheriff. Or but a he deputy. wrote he wrote a book called This Monster Lives, which is yeah. about the making of some kind of monster. And if you're hungry for even more behind the scenes shit than the documentary even gives us. Right. I would encourage you to check that book out. Uh, so we'll be talking about all that coming up in the next few weeks. And I do want to do another Explore the Big Four pretty soon. Uh, on Risk. either on Yeah, I guess Risk is the one, right? Risk or Cryptic Writings. I was going to say that would be the other one. One of the two. Right. Um, so that's what's coming up. And uh, I'm kind of having a good time in this era. It's strange. And, and then we're going to get into the Madly in the Anger with the World Tour, which was right. a stadium tour. I mean, St. Anger critically did well i mean it, it, it went number one and it went platinum it went gold platinum platinum so all that to say there's cool shit coming up there really i don't is. know what to do with well, my hands let, or how to end the episode where do i put I'm my hands? A robot I, I will say to end it um you're right this era is a weird era but is so fun and fascinating to dive into Mm -hmm. because to me there's a lot of unknowns in this era it's like why did they what what did they how what Hmm. Uh, you know it's like everything else in metallica world is very calculated 
right. very planned out. This is just so off the cuff. This, yeah, it's very loose. Very loose, this whole era. So it's fun to, to listen to stuff like this and speculate and just you know throw out ideas. So we're glad you're on the ride with us. We're glad that you're listening to us. Um, you know, Presidio Sessions, it's fun. We had a good time. I had a good time. Did you have a good time? I had a great time. It's weird, but we had a good time. But uh, listen, we're going to keep doing this stuff. Hit up the Patreon. Leave us a review. Socials, all that stuff. Just do it. Yeah, and Just guess what? It. And guess what? What? We'll see you on the fucking flip-flop. Peace. Adios. <laughs>